So here you come in with difficult ideas and concepts with people you disagree and you build resilience and you build empathy and you build the ability to sit together and have these meaningful conversations. And it's a shared experience and shared experiences are important to create shared identity. Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Saul K here, live on location at UC Berkeley. And I'm really excited about this interview. It's going to be on the shorter side because we have a lot of content we want to get to. But without further ado, let me go ahead and edify the man properly. Raised in Jerusalem, ordained in New York, and now living in Palo Alto, Rabbi Amitai Freyman is the director of the DP Project, an initiative of the Oshman family, JCC, aimed at strengthening the relationship between diaspora Jews and Israel based on a peoplehood-oriented Zionism. Rabbi Freyman is also the founder of Interwoven, an organization specializing in telling the story of American Jewry to Israelis. Amitai is also an Eli speaker, a mushmach of YCT, and a graduate of NYU's Wagner Skirball Dual MPA MA program. Together with Michal, they are proud parents of Maya, Yahli, and Roe, which they love bigger than the sky. And I'm super honored to have you on the podcast. Welcome. How are you, sir? I am good. Thank you, Saul. I should have just sent like the short version of that because that's that's like good for print or good for the webs. Good, you know. But it's uh, good. It's yeah. great. I want people yeah. to get to know you. Yeah, so thanks for just, having me. Of course, it's my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, just in brief, you can tell a little bit about growing, growing up in Israel uh, so people can kind of get to know your origin story. It would be great. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I, um, so my, my parents actually, you know, the proper origin story is really to talk about my parents, right? Um, uh, my parents are American-born. Uh, they made Aliyah uh, in the 70s separately. They met at Pardes. Um, oh. Which is familiar, yeah. They're one of the original classes, you know, the first I think five years or six years of the of the place, uh, and and they were involved uh, for years uh, in in Pardes, still are. Um, it's uh, I literally owe my life to that uh, organization, so they're a very very special place in my heart. But they they came from you know an American an American typical background. Uh, um, my mom is from New York, my dad's from Boston. My mom's a little bit more affiliated than my dad, but still not you know they didn't have a very uh, connected background in that sense, and they came to Israel each for their own reasons, and uh, they met a part days, and they stayed, and they decided to raise me and my four siblings uh, in Jerusalem. Um, you know, we we grew up uh, a pretty a fairly typical Israeli uh, upbringing. You know, in that we went to the school, we all served in the army, we went to, uh, we all did undergrad in Israel, um, and you know, and like for my whole life, I think um, I was always kind of like on the uh, in that space between being Israeli and American, you know, growing up in Israel, I was always like the American kid, even though I was mm-hmm. born in Israel. Was it because I played baseball? Was it because, you know, we spoke English at home or, or family in America, whatever it was, I was the American. It was sometimes meant as an insult, often not, but that just was uh, me and some of my other friends were known for. And But it was something I didn't really understand, actually, um, what people meant. You know, it's like, I'm not American, I'm Israeli, I was born here, so what if I have a passport? And when I moved to the States, we moved to the States in 2013. So up until that, I really lived continuously in Israel. I never lived outside. And when I got to the States, I, then I was the Israeli, obviously. But, you know, like a negative in that, in that, like a negative of a photo. And that's in that moment, I started seeing what was American about me, that my friends were 
wiser and wiser than I to identify the differences culturally and religiously and in practice and in kind of approach to some things. And but it, but it, it allowed me to kind of grow into that dual identity much more in a much more uh, conscious way. Um, but you know that's uh, that's like a very brief, 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 brief um, um, version of it. You know the the formative years I think which are relevant to this conversation maybe a little bit also have to do with my up in, in my upbringing is the fact that I was you know I was in my teens in high school during the second intifada, um, you know a young a young child in the in the in the Gulf War, growing up in the end of the second you know up until then second intifada the, the first intifada then the Gulf War then just on you know just like being very highly exposed to a very you know it's it's now in this moment where we, we're talking now with this war raging in Israel it feels almost kind of like I wouldn't say quaint but it's it doesn't feel as uh, it was at least equally dramatic in some ways, but anyway, but that that kind of really like left a very deep imprint on uh, not only me but my entire generation. Um, so, and uh, how were you during the second intifada? So I was I uh, uh, all high school, ninth through twelfth grade. High school, yeah. Okay, and then you went straight into the service. But did you did that? You missed that period in the actual army, or so? So I first went to yeshiva. I went to Malagilboa. I did a gap year. Um, amazing amazing incredible place um, it's a framework for those who are not familiar who you can postpone your army service in Israel either for a year or several depending on the framework this one's modeled after the kibbutz model um, so it's not necessarily a religious one so many secular folks who, who choose this route would go work on a kibbutz live in a kibbutz for a year go into the army then come back and work on the kibbutz and go into the army again so they they took a uh, they grafted that into a yeshiva model so you go and you study you go to the army then you go back to study, then you can go back. You go back to the army, so you end up doing a full three-year service um, and two years in yeshiva. So it's quite a long process. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's like it's like almost like Forrest Gump. You know, when you watch that movie, he's like accidentally in all the most like historic moments, right? Like he's everywhere all the time. So like in Israel, you, you can't live a decade without some kind of dramatic, you know. So you're so coming of age in the second intifada. You know, earlier the Rabin assassination, then the second intifada, then in the army there was the disengagement from Gaza. And the second Lebanon War, and my last week in the service was Operation Castellet. So the first, the first time since Israel's left Gaza and went back for full-on military operation was the last weeks of my army service. So I was there as a tank commander um, in the northern parts of of the uh, of the of the region there. So did I miss the Second Intifada uh, as a soldier? Yes. Did I was I exposed to other things? Also, yes. Wow. Now, so it's so interesting. A lot of Israelis I know that grew up in Israel. Are more secular. Like that seems to be a little more common. So, how was it for you, having American-born parents that are Pardes? You grew up. Did you grow up religious, secular, kind of a combination? Yeah, we grew up religious. You know, it's uh, for, it took me years to understand. You know, in Israel, typically folks were like what we what we would call here in the states modern Orthodox. Um, in Israel, is it's been co-opted now since some of the political parties, but it's called um, like the Tilumi, so religious, uh, you know, or, or the Tzionis, so religious Zionist, or religious nationalist. But but the reality is that like uh, we never really fit into that rubric entirely, and I now know to say why, right? But but like we didn't, you know, we weren't multi generational in it. My parents didn't go to like the, all the yesh- the right yeshivot, you know. They were, you know, I'm a first generation observant Jew. My family, um, mm-hmm. so like a lot of catching up, a lot of learning. And but my parents were very, you know, um, always pushed for my sisters to uh, achieve a higher education, and they never, you know, or limited their access to any of that stuff. Of course, for, in the religious component, and my sisters would be better to tell this story, you know, just women in the Orthodox community, there, there are limitations there in terms of, you know, um, uh, dress code. Um, but I grew up observant. By the way, a side note: none of my siblings are observant these days. Um, I'm the last one, and I'm a rabbi, but uh, so I carry the weight for all of them. 
Um, but we grew up in, <laughs> in uh, yeah, we grew up in southern Jerusalem, like in Hartman type, you know, um, Anglo-Saxon liberal or modern Orthodox, you know, community. Got it. But when you say Anglo-Saxon, you're meaning people are speaking English. Is yeah, a lot of mean? a lot of our friends, many of our friends grew up in our neighborhood where their parents were English speaking. We spoke Hebrew as kids, but like. Okay. You know, there's a baseball league. I played baseball for nine years, you know, um, uh-huh. I followed American sports. And that's, and I know I said earlier, I didn't know what was American about me. That was besides the point. Like, that's one thing, you know, team affiliation in sports, but everybody, everybody like follows a soccer team in Europe or somewhere else. Right. So like that doesn't yeah. count, but it was much something deeper, something um, mm-hmm. about the approach that was fundamentally different. Okay. So we're going to fast forward a little bit here. So yeah. now you're working <laughs> as a rabbi in the JCC, which is a very unique type of gig. Yeah. Um, did you ever aspire to be a congregational rabbi? Or is that still on track for you? And or why did you choose JCC work? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So I first of all, why did I become a rabbi? Um, I mean, the short answer, th- th- to skip to the end, I never wanted to be a congregational rabbi. That was never in the cards, uh, never in the plan. Okay. The reason I went into it in advance, in the first place, right, I my my professional path, um, I was, you know, I was hoping maybe to be a, a diplomat, I'd say, or represent Israel in the world and i through as i was moving through uh undergrad and studying more of the things that i care about within israel and israeli society i realized that like the work towards the world you know at a very early relatively early understanding of this that like there's no there's no explaining israel to anybody right and and like even being in like a defensive position of like always having to explain and justify and ask for permission is a is an uphill battle. It's a Sisyphean uh, process. It's, they, they, it's something the world is willing to make peace with, um, as we're seeing these days. And what I recognize is that really, like the, the issues that we need to deal with are internal to Israel and internal to Israeli society. And if we solve those for our own sake and we become a stronger, better community, a more a more just society, then you know we at least, at the very least, we can look at ourselves in the mirror. And a second, maybe intended or non-intended consequences, the world will be able to kind of uh, come to peace with us. But the, the real reason is to do it for our own. For our own sake, so that, so that one of the issues that I care very deeply about and and wanted to focus was this whole thing of uh, separation of church and state uh, in Israel, and uh-huh. see how how can we loosen the ironclad grip of the centralized uh, chief rabbinate, and because that is one of the what I think most um, problematic components of uh, is this idea of organized religion and the state kind of deciding how one can connect to God and community, and uh, trying to figure out ways to to undo that and i just was like okay then you just got to be part of the change you know i'm orthodox i can speak to people who are orthodox i kind of see both i know mm-hmm. that if i you know i'm not going to be some like major rabbinic uh decider of any kind you know but but i i will know the language i'll know what to ask i'll have the network and, and we'll be the change and that was the original plan that was the original got plan. It. so more what i would say inward facing to the community and the people as opposed to outward representing yes. to the world okay yeah. what are maybe one or two other you mentioned one very key uh, issue that you want to focus on. What are a couple others that you think that are endemic internally that you want to, you know, part of as part of your mission? Focus yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, that mission kind of got more elaborate uh, over time. You know, we've been in the states now for ten years, um, and my focus, you know, at, at, at a, J, a rabbi at a JCC, you know, my role isn't rabbinic per se. There are rabbinic elements to it, but I focus a lot on the relationship between diaspora Jewry and Israel. And I think that like there's there's many lo- levels and layers to that, and they all kind of and they connect. They track back to my original intention and goals, right? I think that there is a we are in this moment in history, um, unique. Uh, putting this, the war the war is 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 dramatic, but and, and we will we will overcome. We will. It will be long. It will be painful. Hundred percent. 
but um but we are we've been through worse quite frankly um but uh i i think that the moment in history we're in which is that we have this unique uh situation which we have a, a strong strong but challenged uh sovereign country and um, which breeds a certain type of jewish life and jewish brand and jewish flavor and we also have a strong and vibrant jewish diaspora in north america and elsewhere yes they're under attack yes there's challenges it's not easy it won't be easy um, but we've never had this ever in our history and the never yeah. had such such a strong identity both, in both places both we've had we've had golden eras outside of israel we've had in mm-hmm. israel but we've never had both okay uh-huh. we vacillated yeah. in between um, and it usually was much more of a pendulum um, and having both um and and with the whole notion of a, you know of you know uh all the, our communication abilities the you know the flatness of the world whatever um, allow for a higher level of interchange and mutuality between communities that we've never had. We've always been in touch, but like in this level of intensity, people going back and forth, never. And uh, I think that like the next chapter of Jewish life will be found in the melding of those two modalities of living as a a, a thriving minority, but also um, at the same time, a, a thriving majority. And those are two, two equally, I believe, equally authentic to Judaism, those two modalities, right, um, of, of seeing Jewish life. And now that we have both, you know, I think that coming together is, is going to be something that's incredible. And I think it's something that we've understood in our in our sources for generations, right? This idea between particular and universal, you know, Kodesh and Chol, you know, the holy and the profane, whatever it is. And, but somewhere in between in that tension is where we thrive. And so now that we have real live examples of it and ability to kind of move between the two, I think our our collective Jewish identity and consciousness will just be elevated. And so like that's about internal Jewish work, internal resilience and exploration of who we are and what we want to be in the world, right? Like the world is the world, but we can only do, you know, and what we can. So that's that's my the the my mandate within the JCC and I do programming around that and I have, you know, I write around it and I teach and I uh, and that's really about that work. And yeah, there's actually if if I'll put a link below to your talk uh, the Ellie talk where you talk yeah. about the new paradigm of independence, where you kind of yeah. flesh that out a little more. It's a great, it's a yeah. great thing to focus on actually, for yeah. sure. Um, so talk a little bit uh, just briefly about kind of what do you think is most misunderstood between American Jewry and Israelis? I know it's a huge topic, but maybe pick out a couple things yeah. that you've discovered or have found possible sure. solutions for. Yeah. So, I mean, solutions for anything is, first of all, just um, getting to know people and communicating, right? That's typically where we can solve a lot of the issues. Um, that's that's broadly speaking. Um, but I think that the like uh, most of the challenges and issues, I, I really believe that they come from just a difference in in the lived experience and in, the, in that modality that we talked about. Israelis will come to America and like, oh, we know everything, even if they're secular, right? We know, right? Like... Um, we'll tell you how things are done. We'll teach you. We're the true, you know, uh, we speak Hebrew, whatever. And they see the world through that prison, like all of us. It's no judgment. Like we all see, we can only see the world through our own experiences. And so that's what Israelis do. And Americans similarly, like, right, they're like, they're, they're also Americans we know, also have their own understanding of how the world works, right? And that's true for every diaspora in every country and every community, every society. But when it comes to Jewish life, I think that that's, that's where a lot of the issues, you know, um, uh, come up against each other, right? So if like, a, like let's, I'll give you a particular um, example where, where I think it can illustrate it. Israelis have no understanding or no ba- barely any ability to understand what it means to be Jewish outside of a sovereign context, right? Uh-huh. They can they despise the rabbinate, 
right? But they're like, wait, 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 wait a second. What do you mean there's denominations? What do you mean you can convert whoever? What do you mean you drive on Shabbat or you like, it's just like so outside the realm of understanding and, and yeah. experience. It's just they, they until they move or live or interact, they just don't understand it. And for and for um for uh folks who don't live in Israel, who haven't lived in Israel, there's something missing in the easiness of it, right? Like any space that we are in outside of Israel, we have to choose and continuously choose to be Jewish, and we have to fight for it and articulate it to ourselves and to others and spell it out. There, there are very, very few spaces, you know, JCCs, camps, synagogues, schools, maybe, but like we could just be Jewish, right? It's like you know, a good, yeah. a good, a good example is like when you go, if you keep, if you keep kosher, right? If you're in the supermarket, you got to check every like, you know, thing. But you go down the kosher aisle, you're just like, all right, just gonna like knock things off the shelf, you know. So that that the way of how that influences your 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 psyche and your approach is something that Israelis they don't, you know, they like, yeah, of course, so like Americans don't fully understand like how to embody that always, and that's something that's that can be. And help. And so I think when people interact and, and, and have these conversations about what it means and what it's like, we can enrich each other and really learn from each other and, and have like a real chavuta about the meaning of Jewish and what it means to be Jewish in this world today. I love it. Okay, well, let's let's tie that right into the ZP conference, because I think this is largely a part of your vision. So tell me about kind of the founding of it, Z3's mission, and then, of course, the upcoming event. Yeah. So the Z3 conference was started nine years ago at the Ashman Family JC. I wasn't involved at that point. Um, it was like a local, a very, very local initiative came out of uh, several experiences where it was clear that the community wanted a place where they can come together and have meaningful conversations. First, it was around the Iran deal, where they had you know, pro and against the deal come together and they had 800 people. They thought it was interesting, a topic that didn't necessarily always cover. So they brought in a full conference with Israelis and Americans, and they started that really sparked something for the community. And then year over year, it's like, should we do it again? Should it be a biannual thing? You know, four years later, 2018, they had 1,200, they had 1,100 people here at, at the Ashman Family JCC, dozens of speakers and, and people loved it. And, and they're like, okay, we can no longer kind of do this as like a half, like as a, as a hobby. So they hired me, brought me into the team to kind of take it, own it, and then also give it like a conceptual framing because what we've seen through these years is that this way of talking about Israel and Jewish identity doesn't exist elsewhere, right? It's typically politicized um, um, or, or from a religious perspective. And then you don't get folks who don't agree in the same room. So it's just bias confirmation. It's used as a tool to separate between people of the community instead of something that can bring them together. Um, and so we kind of worked hard in kind of conceptualizing, you know, how does this type of uh, engagement build communal identity, build communal resilience and, and connection? And we and basically saying if we can do it around Israel, which is the hardest topic, we can do it around anything else. So if we can get together a bunch of people, hundreds of people who disagree, they don't have the same lived experience, and we and we give them the framework and the language and the and the space to be seen, to be valued, and to express and learn together, then then that community's identity and Israel and its relationship to it is in a mutual in a in a way that's mutual, right? It's not one way. It's not like oh, Israel's the best thing in the world, but like it's a it's a a fact of our life, and. That over time will 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 deepen the community's identity and the individual's identity. So that's kind of like what the conference is is a model of, and then we take that and we try to help other communities replicate it in their own context, right? If it's um, through JCCs, camps, educators, and whatnot. So the conference on Sunday, you know, and every year the theme is appropriate to what's going on. We had one theme a month ago, and then uh, unfortunately with all the you know the, the ongoing nightmare, we have to shift very very quickly and refocus the event. But fundamentally, in its core, it's about bringing people together 
it's like a gym, a workout, right? You go to the gym, you do repetitions, it's like difficult, you know, to build muscle. So here you come in with difficult ideas and concepts with people you disagree, and you build resilience and you build empathy and you build the ability to sit together and have these meaningful conversations. And it's a shared experience and shared experiences are important to create shared identity. Um, and that's always like fundamentally at the core of what we're trying to do. And we just, you, you know, different angles to kind of reach that point. I love it. So what I'm hearing, what you're saying is C3 embraces a multiplicity of views on whatever the core topic is, which currently is Israel, right? And that may change throughout the years, but obviously it'll be a core component. So it's not just yeah. one view, right? It's it's you're embracing a multiplicity and people yeah. should expect yeah, that for when sure. they come. I mean, the, right? core, the core is always going to be like, like Israel, Zionism, Jewish peoplehood. But like, is it the, you know, the war? Is it judicial reform? Is it Jewish identity? Is it, you know, like every year, the entry, but, but we want to turn um, that, that relationship is something that's in, part of our, you know, our annual life cycle or our community and like come to expect it. And yeah, certainly there's a range of opinions all the time. You know, one of our, one of our like three operating principles is unity, but not uniformity. Right? I'm not looking to, I'm not looking to move people on like some kind of scale this way, but actually just deeper, right? Just deeper and deeper in their knowledge and their appreciation of others and um, their own relationship. Yeah, I think that is so needed uh, universally, certainly now more than ever. And so people can expect a few things just in terms of what's coming up. I know there's a, there's a plenary, there's going to be some music sessions, there's some breakout rooms, there's a closing service slash concert that happens at the end that I'll be a part of. Um, anything else that's in there that you want to highlight that's part of the, the yeah, day Yeah, I mean, itself? the speakers are going to be talking about, you know, the geopolitical element, the legal components. We're going to talk about um, what's going on on campus. We're going to have, you know, um, uh, sessions that are more like heady. And, and intellectual and also more emotional kind of process spaces or or um, ways to kind of express ourselves differently. There'll be, um, um, uh, you know, there'll be food, of course, but it's really about coming together. Uh, by the way, like, you know, there's, we're already at over 900 people are showing up in person with several hundred online. And which means that for the opening plenary, we'll have like a, uh, like a, a spillover room where people will watch the plenary live, just not in the same right. room. But for the rest of the day, you know, they're, all the breakouts can hold you know, our campus capacity is more than just what our main hall can hold. So, you know, I just want to that and the price and by the and, and for this moment, you know, the theme is stronger together. And we reduce the prices to $36 because we want everybody to come. Okay, like the program is the same le high level program, high level quality, you get the same kind of experience. And but we really, really think this is a moment to be together. And, and, and kind of and, and, and try to heal, quite frankly. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, double high. Okay, two topics we want to talk about briefly, uh, which is almost impossible to be brief with these, both of these topics. But one is, you know, rising anti-Semitism. I mean, here I am on UC Berkeley campus and I always come like ready to have yeah. conversations with people. And most of the time kids are just playing and having fun in the sun. It's all good. I've had a very positive experience. But overall, you know, in the country and uh, globally, there's a huge spike in anti-Semitism. So what can people do right now to... A, kind of stay sane, be protected, anything that you suggest. Yeah, it's a huge topic. So I think the first thing is is try to remove yourself from the from social media as much as possible and the news as much as possible because, um, you know, sp spinning in the same messages is is frightening. And we can internalize For sure. things that are happening halfway across the world and, and, and feel like they're happening in our backyard, right? So so try to, as much as possible not to, to deal with that. I think that's important just for our own to stay safe and sane. Two, be careful. Be aware, be, be, you know, 
just be aware of your surroundings and and you know i'm not saying god forbid uh we, we should hide who we are but that doesn't mean we should be you know um, um overly confident you know and just like just be careful like really be careful and don't put yourself in situations that are you know be 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 wise right what is it like a wise a smart person knows how to get themselves out of a difficult situation and a wise person knows how to avoid them in the first place um so like um just like you know don't remove your mezuzot 100 at all do not, yeah. you know we're gonna we're, we're we if we're proud of who we are we fought in very long and very hard as a people to be in this moment where we can like zionism really is about jewish self-determination and that means that we get to be who we are where we want where we want in our own on our own terms and no one else can determine that for us and guess what anti-semitism has been around it's a it's a sickness of 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 humanity, I guess, this need to hate. And um, um, the best that we can do to counter it is just love to be Jewish, love Judaism, speak up for our people, be united, come together in community. And, and, and uh, you know, that's that's my that's my go-to. That's my my two things. Yes, I love it. I heard one rabbi say, uh, Rabbi Delphair Pinton, that watching those horrible videos over and over is just re-traumatizing yourself, right? So you saw a little yeah. bit, that's all, yeah. that's probably enough. You don't need to rewatch that. Um, and then secondly, yeah. you know, for me, there's a palpable feeling of the spirit of Am Yisrael that has been awoken. Not that it was ever necessarily asleep, yeah. but it's really this physical feeling for me. And when we're in community, yeah. if you are feeling that, then great, give back to your community. Come come be with community. I told people we yeah. need to extend the Hakka year. One more year. Like, I think one more year will be good. One more year. Okay. Last but not least, first of all, I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy this week, and uh, we'll do a longer one another time. Uh, Last but not least, this is a question I always ask people on the Holy Sparks podcast. What's the Jewish world need now most, and why? That's a big one. We need, um, I'd say, I think we need a a clear sense of our, I don't know how to articulate this correctly. I think it's, for me, it's about uh, not being distracted uh, by the noise and being clear about the just the justice of our of our of our justness of our cause okay as a people and the world is screaming at us and telling us you know that we we are in the wrong we're in the wrong in Israel we're in the wrong outside of Israel and and that can be very destabilizing we're being gaslit left right and center and today it's from one side of the political map in a couple months it'll be from the other side of the political map and we have to and and we have to remain very clear about um um, our message to the world as a Jewish people, um, of, of repairing it together with it, with everybody. We're partners in creation, um, and and not and just like be clear that we have we are in the right. We are in the right. That doesn't mean everything we do is right, or everything we do is just you know is 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 uh, is uh, or doesn't come without a cost for sure. But um, fundamentally, we are um, we are in it, and we are in it for the long run. And we just remembering that. And uh, I think will be helpful. I love it. Well, Rabbi Amitai, I really appreciate your time and your clarity and your mission and the work that you're doing in the JCP specifically. And I always want to end with the blessing that, you know, Hashem should bless you with continued clarity of purpose, with efficient time management, with all of the things you have going on this week specifically, and that you're able to really hold space and open up conversations uh, between Israelis and American Jewry and other people so that we can further deepen our understanding of each other and from that understanding create more unity, create more achdut and create more avad Yisrael and of course safety for our people. So uh, thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you. And I'm excited for your participation, your and Ilana's participation. You guys are going to really elevate the the whole day. Um, we really need that that uach and that spirit that you guys bring. And, and we're so appreciative of your partnership. And, and you know, you, it's going to be incredible. So I, I urge those who are listening to come. Um, and uh, it will be great. So thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Thank okay. You. We'll see you on Sunday. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Please subscribe. It helps the podcast. Share this with friends and family whom you think would be inspired by the content. And we will see you on our next episode.